episode 49 of Board Games with Variant Hex is all about board games and mental health. I'm Kelly, and in this episode, Aaron and I talk about creating, calming, and connecting while playing board games. This was originally going to be a solo episode, but Aaron has joined to give his perspective on the topic. Even though we are married and play lots of games together, our approaches here are rather different. We'll mention specific games that elicit these experiences for us, talk about the benefits of encouraging these feelings while playing games, and generally discuss the positive benefits of board games for mental health. Please be aware that we are not mental health professionals at all. We're just sharing our thoughts and encouraging you to reflect on yours. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to myself and Aaron talking about creative, calming, and connecting experiences in board gaming. Hey, Aaron. Kelly. Three things that I enjoy getting out of board games, and I think their positive mental health benefits are creating, calming, and connecting. These seems like great goals for board games. Yes, and we've come to the end of Mental Health Awareness Month, but mental health awareness is every day. I originally was going to do this episode by myself. But here I am. Here you are. Part of why I was going to do it by myself is because a lot of the creative, calming, and connected experiences that I have while playing board games, you know, there's no gentle way to say this, are without you. (laughs) You don't feel connected to me when I am quietly brooding over my next strategic decision? I don't. And I think that you probably find that in those same moments when I'm feeling stifled and anxious and disconnected. I think you're feeling all of these things. So certainly first, creative and calm many connected, times. Connected. I you know, I think the connecting might be a creative and calming thing. I think you might feel all of these as a as a unified force. Yeah, well, I feel like I will maybe shock you and disappoint you by saying I think one of the games that I feel the most connected, I know I'm jumping ahead. Oh, don't jump ahead. I won't jump ahead. Spoiler or okay. spo- teasers, not spoilers. Teasers, no, no, not spoilers. So I'm going to, so I've thought about this a little bit more because like I said, I was going to run with this episode by myself, kind of the solo gaming things. The games I'm going to list are still solo games, but then I'll ask you which what your picks would be. What are the games that you have to go with along with these themes? So I'm going to start with creating and a game that when I'm playing it, I feel creative. And that's Hadrian's Wall. Hadrian's Wall is a flip and write. You have two pretty big sheets for a flip and write that essentially look like spreadsheets. They're colorful, but there's a bunch of boxes. You are gaining resources, which are kind of like little citizens. You get to assign those citizens. We won't say use. You get to assign them somewhere. They give you a benefit. And it's sort of a combo thing. And, you know, you assign them here and you get this benefit and that gives you the resource used over here and you scratch that off. It gives you the resource back on the other page. Seeing these options and possibilities of how I can link everything together, seeing the solution to the kind of problem that it presents, I really find creative and it's creativity, not just artistic creativity that you traditionally will maybe think of. If you say, oh, this person's so creative, you're often saying like the arts, kind of the traditional arts, but there's other types of creativity like mathematical or strategic creativity. So that's kind of what I think about Hadrian's Wall. I feel like it helps me see uh, opportunities. And instead of seeing the long way through the long path around, I feel like it really rewards you from gaining efficiencies. And that's one of my favorite ways to be creative is to 
figure out how to make a system a little more efficient and iterate that system. Something I like doing in real life, it's not always something I like doing in games. You like making a system in games, like a tight system and just iterating it. And I can find that boring sometimes because I'm looking for more discovery. Yeah, I feel like for me, there's two types of games that, that kind of feed my creativity. One is a game that like, kind of like Hadrian's Wall, where there's just tons of ways to score and, and a lot of paths to high scores or victory are kind of well balanced among each other. So mm -hmm. every time you play, you get to really try to push the game in a different way and see if you can get the the same or better results. And then, but there's also like straight transforming resources games where I can like quickly see an engine into the future. Like, gosh, I would just play Century all day long. Oh, and you know that's the sort of century. thing. Yeah, classic Century, or you know, really they all have Any the same them. mechanic where mm -hmm. where you are designing a a gem upgrading and creation engine but once mm -hmm. you get your engine going it's pretty perfunctory mm -hmm. but it's in putting together that engine and kind of deciding how that engine is going to work for the specific board state is pretty fun putting together those pieces for you initially is kind of the creative thing seeing how they can come together yeah because then after that you don't continue creating maybe after that honestly i think i'd have just as much fun with century if there was like a this is a fictional thing but like mm -hmm. a solver where you could go through the first 10 turns of century and then put in your cards and the remaining deck and it would just give you a probability of victory based on the opponents that you had that'd be fine for me i wouldn't even need to finish whoa just i would want to just be trying to it's get really the highest just the probability start. yeah i just want to i want to put the engine together once the engine's going it's oh, no. sort of like well let's see how this works out and i find the second half so much more interesting and i would say the same thing for hadrian's wall when i'm first getting started it feels like there's so many possibilities there's so many things that you can do and there's usually a bit of tension when i'm getting to a point where like oh i need this box filled so for the creative part for me is like narrowing down to get that specific problem. Like, how am I going to get this problem filled? And I'm not getting too narrow minded about only seeing one approach. Yeah, I think the creative thing for me is how can I turn, how can I just have basically too many resources so that I can maintain flexibility based. If that's a century situation where like the right. more resources you have, the more flexible you are at any given moment. Yeah. You do like having a lot of resources. I can't say that I feel, I feel like a little creative playing Century. I will say I definitely do not feel calm while playing Century with yeah. you. I can feel that. I mean, I guess we'll call it creative energy. That's not how I would have described it. It tends to unnerve me a bit. There's very often we'll play a game and I'll be like, yep, wish it had a solo mode. But that's because I can see that there might be a calming thing in there, but I'm not feeling it in the I feel... competitive nature as I'm playing with you. I feel now, pretty calm when I play Century, but that's not where I'm going to go. That's not where you're going with the next one. I'm going to go with Cartographers for calming. I think this one, it is, you do get to like draw a little bit. So this is more of the traditionally artistic thing. I don't necessarily feel that creative though. Cartographers is a also a flip and write game, flip and draw game, where you have a map that's a grid as you flip you'll have polyomino shapes that you're filling into that grid and there'll be four different scoring categories. Very interesting thing. You have an A, B, C, and D scoring and you have four seasons. But instead of just scoring A for season one, B for season two, you score pairs every season. So you do A and B, B and C, 
C and D, and then D and A. So everything scores twice. And you see that scoring criteria from the beginning of the game. As you're forming this map together, you're kind of doing the spatial reasoning to make the, to meet the goal cards that have been laid out. You're kind of picturing those pieces in your head. All of these things, you don't get to like change, you can flip the piece, but you don't get to like change it. It just kind of presents itself as it is. You get like a choice sometimes of one or two shapes. You can do a smaller shape and get a coin or a bigger shape that'll fill more of your map. And it really just matters what the goal card is and what you've drawn already as to which one is gonna work better. So I think one, I played a lot of Tetris as a kid. So I think that kind of has a calming effect on me when I'm looking at those polyomino shapes and deciding how they fit, because that's just, I was like eight or nine playing Tetris for hours on an old Mac computer. So I think that kind of brings back a little bit of childhood when I'm doing that polyomino pieces thing. And as you're picturing all those things, I think it's hard to hold on to other thoughts or other stresses. You are just trying to get things to fit. I think it's possible that then my other thoughts are looking for a place where they fit, where they can settle in nicely. This is maybe a stretch, but I think that you are creating a lot of boundaries. You're taking a piece and putting it, a defined shape on it, and you're putting it in its place. Having a place for things where they kind of settle and are even is a very healthy practice. I was organizing my uh, calendar last week, my work calendar, a little bit of my life calendar, and I was making colored blocks and putting them onto each on different days and kind of making an ideal schedule. Like this is how long I want to work on these different projects. Here's where I would want breaks. Here's where I would want to work on like a secondary project. And I think creating boundaries and making a time and place for things is a way that you can feel less overwhelmed. If you have a big project, it helps kind of break it up. If you're feeling like you don't have direction, it can kind of give your day some definition and point you in a direction. So yeah, that's what I'm gonna say for cartographers, just kind of making the pieces fit and coming up with a plan. So what do you have for a calming game, Aaron? I mean, I've, honestly, I feel like cartographers is an instance of what I would say are games that calm me. I love to play roll and rights or flipping rights or whatever, because I feel like, Generally speaking, they don't drive my competitive spirit as much, which mm. is kind of inherently uncalming to be kind of super concerned with winning. So, like, we'll play Welcome To, and, you know, we're making oh, yeah. pools and putting numbers in order. Yeah. Or, you know, and it's like, ah, oh, well, if I win, I win. And if I if I don't, well, well I, I made I made a cool little neighborhood and drew some fences in nice, right? right? And I, I, I think there's a, a number of those games. Like, you know, I like playing Railroad Inc. for the same reason. Mm-hmm. Um, Cartographers is is definitely fine though. I really don't like playing with the monsters. That does get my competitive uh, spirit flowing a little bit. Right. But I, I think in general, roll and write games are, are are a pretty calm experience, and I'm basically always willing to play one. Yeah, the monsters in Cartographers when you're playing solo, they just kind of go where they go. You like start at the corner that it indicates, and you just keep moving it moving around the edge of the board until it fits somewhere but when you're playing multiplayer you can kind of you pass your sheets which is interesting doesn't happen in a lot of roll and write games and you write where that monster's going to go on the other person's sheet and you are usually trying to go for total sabotage right at that point and some people like you know you can't really sabotage their map like it just doesn't it's not that rewarding other people it's like it's very clear that you've ruined everything they were going to do yeah and i think with the exception of like the aforementioned hadrian's wall uh, typically, roll and rights don't have a rule set that's so challenging that you have yeah. to really, you know, take a big investment to get back into one if you haven't played it in a while. Right. So you're saying low friction to get into it, which is calming. And then 
you're kind of released from some of the competitiveness in this multiplayer solitaire sort of mode. Like, yeah, yeah, you're kind of sure. you're kind of free up to just let it. Happen like, oh, what you more. do over there? That's fine. Right, and I think what's interesting about that is that not every roll and write, but a lot of them, you may have perfect opportunity. Someone else gets a score or whatever, and you had the exact same opportunity. Oh yeah, to I get like that I, I like that part of it as well. So kind of that sense of you saying, "Well, I would like to just on the last game, you were like, "Well, I would like to just kind of input the numbers and have it spit out the probability." In some ways, when you do a flip and write, like Welcome to, in some ways, you kind of get that because you see a bunch of people do the exact, see what they did oh, with right. the like exact you have same the, information. The probability of the of the right, it kind of like generates. Yeah, it kind of generates a few results. And now for my connecting game, honestly, Cartographers isn't too far away from this. The way that the scoring mechanism works where you do A, B, B, C, C, D, and then right. D, A, that is connecting in a similar way to Dinosaur Island, RAR, and write. So it's not ROAR, it's R-A-W-R. RAR. Just so we're clear. Um, in that one, you don't have that kind of, oh, I'm going to see, I'm going to score at the end, but you run your park three times. So you have two sheets, again, smaller than Hadrian's wall sheets. One of them does have a grid map on it, like cartographers. The other one has a variety of things that you're going to go through when you run your park. So you have two planning rounds and then a run your park round. And that set of actions happens three times during the game. So when you're planning, um, you roll some dice, you get to take actions on those dice, then you get to place those dice on an action board and take different actions with them. You might take some threats, which will come up when you run your park, and you'll be placing different like animal pins, special buildings, rides, amusements, uh, merch stores into your park. You'll be making roads between them. And then when it comes time to run your park, that's like when you actually let people in and they walk through your park. So you'll uh, kind of assess your merch and food buildings and your rides. Then you'll go to your employees and all the perks that they give you. Then you'll go down next, I think, is when you actually walk the people through your park and you kind of mark off buildings that they go through. And then you look at your threat, make sure nobody died, which is a thing. Um, and you'll do that three times and then, and then score at the end of the game. So because you're building this park in stages, you're trying to do something now that works for you. You're trying to build, as the rounds go on, you're trying to build upon what you've already done and then ultimately get to that final round where you're just amassing more and more kind of scoring as you go because you're filling out this like excitement track and you're trying to have a more exciting park because that unlocks more bonuses. So just a light amount of comboing that happens. And I think that past, present, future sort of idea as you're playing through this game is a very connecting feeling because you don't want to kind of throw your park all in one direction just for the points now. You kind of want to set things up so that you can keep aiming towards more points and leaving the right amount of space open for the bigger things that are to come. So I think it's that that balance between projecting what you want now and kind of looking into the future about what you're going to build. Hmm. I think I have a like a completely different take altogether on connecting games Excellent. and i think potentially counterintuitive to to many or some i feel very well connected in social manipulation and or deception games 
Yeah, that's like, where a lot of our problems like, come up. I, I think, for example, like in a, in a game like Get Bit or in a game of Coup or things like this where success in the game is pretty well depends on or can depend on your ability to kind of know what the other person is thinking. Like, are they going to deceive me at this moment? Are they not going to deceive me at this moment? Have they deceived me? Like, and you really need to kind of be in tune with the person you're playing with. And I think when you're playing that well and the other person is playing it well back at you, even when you miss and you're like wrong about what, what was going on, you're like, ah, they they got me. And they're like, ah, I got you. And then there's like this, like, moving forward of like this understanding of like where we are at in this kind of give and take of a deception game and i I think it's it's very connecting that's not an experience i ever get with you no i've made a variety of faces uh while you were speaking that no one else could see and i am surprised by how many people feel like you do and i don't know if they necessarily feel that it's connecting i don't know if they would describe it the same way but what you're saying that you get out of those type of, especially social manipulation games, which not everything you listed really was, but that type of trying to figure out what the other person is doing and trying to influence what that other person does. And I think try to get the upper hand is fair enough to say on that other person. It is completely, I think it's rather thoroughly against my nature. And I think that I also villainize it a fair amount. So it's no wonder that that's not a connecting experience that we share. And I think, you know, I feel like I just can't be the outlet for you for that in a game. And that's very similar to the thoughts I had when we first opened the podcast, kind of what I was talking about. Well, I think if we want to go honorable mention, a game that I can connect with anybody with, I think we played just yesterday uh, with your family, Wavelength, is a great game for connection because it's really more about the conversation. And I think, you know, some of the party games that are attempting to get conversation and laughing going, we don't like as much, but Wavelength has been there for us. And then also, what's the weird betting one? Uh, that we also some, sometimes like it's a party game. Oh, Wits and Wagers? Yeah, Wits and Wagers. I just couldn't think of the title. Yeah, Wits and Wagers is nice because you don't actually have to know the answer. You're all, it's always a number. Whatever the question is asking, it's always some kind of number. And everyone's putting out their guess for what that number is. And then you can bet, you can have nothing to do with your guess. You can bet on what seems to be the right answer kind of after you see the range. Yeah, and that one always is not as fun for me because for whatever reason, I care too much about winning that game. It's dumb. Like, it's not a game about winning. Mm-hmm. But but I always get... But but for Wavelength, I, I don't care. Wavelength is fun for me every time. Yeah, there's a card that has two statements on it, such as hot or cold. They're not always as obviously opposite as that. And then there's this uh, like half circle dial. dial. And it has... Um, the way it's designed, you can one person can turn it and kind of reveal where the slice of the pie, so to speak, is. And then they're trying to give a clue that once that slice of the pie is hidden again, the that their teammates will be able to turn a dial and exactly hone in on the angle at which they've selected. So if it's hot versus cold, and let's say you're absolutely straight up in the middle. Well, you'd want something that is like, you want to give a clue that is perfectly between hot and cold. Tap water. So if you said tap water, now some people might think that tap water, like out of a hose, is really cold, is is often very cold. So they might think that's closer to cold. But then someone else may say, isn't tap water more of a neutral temperature? Or, you know, 
what are you changing on your tap to make and it hot or cold? And liked, then that's the game. So yeah, the apps seem to, to not get... even sorry. The apps seem to not even separate it by teams. So like everyone who signed in the app is just trying to like collectively now, score points. I think that was because we did two player. Oh, okay. I think so. When you do two player, it does a few guesses, and then you each get to go back and forth, which is oh. a pretty good two player experience. I think. Yeah, it was pretty nice. And we did it actually uh, three player. My sister was here, so we were just showing her how the game worked. So Aaron and I put in guesses, and then we basically she just kind of very passively she was doing other things as we were telling her about this game kind of swap back and forth from team to team because she didn't know what either of us put so she could kind of be on both teams and then neither team um yeah the app is excellent i think it was free to download for and you. Then you you pay for the, uh yeah i didn't pay for it and so i bought um an extra pack of cards so the wavelength app an amazing way to try out the game it is on tabletop simulator probably thoroughly unofficial and then the actual physical version of the game has a really nice presentation. Very nice to like set on a table. Definitely a, d a game you could play on a coffee table. Like right. you could all be sitting around on couches. And I think some people don't always want to be at a table playing a game. And that is a very, you could have a lot of people in the Connect experience. Because I was saying solo games at first with this. Oh, the connecting, right. I mean, you're only connecting really with yourself. Now you can do solo challenges online. You can, you can, there's ways you can play solo and still uh connect with other people but yes i wasn't really thinking in yeah. the sense of connecting with others huh well i think the um I, I i feel like what i'm doing is probably creating an editing nightmare for you or we're just gonna have this weird aside at the end we can have a weird aside i but don't intend to edit from the creating bit i i think a, th a thing that really drives my creativity in games that i thought of while we were talking is playing the same game over and over and over again because that really kind of lends oh. itself to kind of exploring and understanding how like different games move and we don't do that a lot you uh, do it more with solo I, games than i do I it do. a lot with solo games um, i because i'm always playing games with you and then typically we're playing different stuff we don't but i would say that i felt pretty creatively engaged with maracaibo when we played it last year mm. um and, and we did i i found i i feel like there were 20 different ways to win that game you could win with war without war you could win by going fast you could win by going slow and that's the sort of a thing where that game, I don't think, challenge like was a thing. Was it not a creative outlet for me the first two or three times I played it? But as I started to play it more and kind of push it, then I felt really creative as we were playing it. Hmm, that's interesting. I was mostly annoyed with Maracaibo most of the time we played it, <laughs> I really and then I it. I basically acquiesced to the idea that I guess it's fine, and that's because I have this, and I think we I think we did a. Maracaibo review, and I think I talked about exactly this back many episodes ago, that these big stack of cards games, I have like a bone to pick with. I, I don't I don't love how they work. I don't really love what they're asking you to do, the way that you're being asked to take in all this information and filter it. But I do get that a lot of people really like it. It does not feel like a creative experience to me. But you saying that is kind of making me think like, is that why people like these big stack of cards games? I wonder how many more people also feel that this is a creative experience. I think Ark Nova, I have not played it. I think it's another big deck of cards game. Right. I think a lot of people, for them, it kind of rose above terraforming Mars, or I think that comparison is definitely there. And I'm, I'm wondering if that is, that's helping me understand what other people, I don't know if that's going to change my own view like the next time i come to that i don't know that i'm gonna you know be a alive with the creative spirit but it is helping me understand what other people are getting out of that game and why they're praising it so highly games like that right 
I feel like for me that that mechanic isn't even the most important thing. It's just playing it over and over again and understanding the different approaches. And and I feel like it fits the bill of a game that you can win a bunch of different ways and no one strategy is like, if you like, we're like, oh, if, if player A executes strategy A to perfection, they're unbeatable. I feel like that makes a game less creatively engaging for me. And I feel like Mark Ibo fits that bill. Right. So as we're talking about this theme of mental health, very sensibly, you're saying that finding these ways to win is a lot of what is driving you in these games. Or and, to succeed at a goal, if we want to not focus on competition. Well, that's kind of where I was going to go, is saying that, would you say overall, like the mental health benefit, because I really made these three kind of themes, these three ideas, I pulled those together as things I'm trying to get out of it, and why I see a mental health benefit. Like, I like this idea of linking past, present, and future, determining what I'm going to do, how am I using my resources, and how is that going to benefit me going forward? Like in Dinosaur Island, Roar and Write, I talked about creating that boundary and organizing my schedule is kind of similar with cartographers. For Hadrian's Wall, that mathematical or strategic creativity over um, maybe artistic creativity and helping me see possibilities. So that was kind of the mental health benefits that I'm getting out of these what do you feel like you're getting a mental health benefit from games? Yours seem to be more focused on, you know, winning the game. And is it is it just that you're a competitive person? That's one of your, like... Well, I mean, I think to be... I mean, I, I think coming up with strategies to meet a goal and kind of pushing on a thing and discovering it in that way is super fun for me. That does uh, help me to win games. But I think for the for the calm bit, the roll and write games, I'm typically not that concerned with winning, but I am kind of yeah. doing the same thing of like trying to do the best I can do with what I have done. I might even in a roll and write like choose to go for some way out strategy just to see like what happens this playthrough. You know, in Railroad Inc., I'll just be like, all right, what we're doing is we're connecting every one of these no matter what comes up, you know, and just mm-hmm. see what happens. And and then in terms of the connection, I think, you know, I think there's some some benefit either in playing games like Wavelength where you're not concerned with winning, but you are mm. kind of creating a positive kind of experience with others or for me in like deception games. And I feel like it is important that the person you're playing the deception game be in on that ruse. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like I think when Adam, yes. when Adam and I play deception games together, there is a communication in the deception that that I think helps us not to it helps us to become better friends and to know each other better through that experience. Like the fact that he knows when I'm lying or I know when he's lying or that I narrowly miss. And I think he's lying, but he's not like, that's a a, a way that we grow closer together. But like, I'm not doing that with you. That's not very helpful or productive. That's not who you are. That's not who we are together. Right. And throughout the pandemic, you guys started to have a, we'd all play games together once or twice a week. But you guys picked up an additional night a week where you're playing two player and often deception. We, we started with chess, but then we did a lot of Hanami Koji, and then yeah. we did every did variation of, of Curse Court, Court as well, which I, is the same deception, I'm, social manipulation. We played Curse Court that recently. You did not like it. N- no, because I, I'm not. I uh, yes, uh, for we can have a whole other episodes on why I don't care. For but here it. we're going to focus on mental health. We're focusing on mental health, and I think that it did help you connect more with Adam and I like I see how through those talks probably not talking about other things but also through that like it did help deepen your friendship and that is something that's sort of alien to me because even when I play games with Adam we're never doing that like you know <laughs> we have we have a good time or whatever we'll do like extended turn-based games on BGA but we are we are never doing that so I think what I am asking you is 
big picture overall, how do you see that one is connecting with your friends? How do you see the board games? Is it something that connects back into the rest of your life for mental health? Or for you, is it that board games, they are distinct from the rest of your life? And that is the mental health benefit. Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think the the one thing that's true of me in, in board games or sports or competition is like being as extremely competitive as I am, like having an outlet where we agree that we're competing and we're trying to beat one another mm. is great. And then I don't need to take that like like in my everyday life, my competition is very inwardly focused. The best version of me is working together with people on a team. Compe- mm-hmm. you know in my life but then i feel like there there's still a part of me that's just an individual competitor and so board games is an outlet for that that's more acceptable even though sometimes i still take it over the top yeah i won't disagree with that and i it doesn't help that the things that i'm looking for out of games i think that's why i've just played more solo games and i think that's fine i think the thing that i'm looking for out of games in no way with all these c's listed it's not competitive Com- competition for me is I, I work that C health. into it. Yeah, I, I see that. And that's fine for you to add your own C to this and that be competitive. That's absolutely fine that that's a release for you. And I think uh, one of the things that we've worked through, as we still do enjoy playing games together, we're striking the balance of kind of the Venn diagram. What are the things that are the games that Aaron really likes to play that are just not really working for Kelly or in very limited quantities working for me? And what are the things that I just want to play, you know, kind of by myself, because I don't really want to think about the competitive aspect of it as I'm playing the game and making the decisions like that's what's that's what's working for me. The winning and losing is kind of here or there. I like the discovery and the decisions. And, you know, if you judge the result, I guess so be it. You have a number now and that I didn't need. Well, I, I think the the takeaway from this podcast hopefully is that board games can be a wonderful outlet for protecting your mental health, but you also need to be respectful of the other people in your game group and be empathetic and understand what does your playing group get out of board games? What are you looking for out of board games? And, you know, find, find, find the, uh, the, uh, the, the color in the Venn diagram that's made above the colors. You know, I was trying to do a, I was going to do, I know, I know. And you were really going for something that was very nice, but I think it's, I think you're (laughs) right to say that you kind of have to recognize the balance between what other people are getting out, like the benefit that they're seeing out of board games and being somewhat sensitive to that and respectful of it. Because I think in competition, sensitive is maybe seen as, not great but i think there's a level of sportsmanship and uh respect that you kind of extend to a worthy competitor so i think even if you're in these high i'm saying that even if you're in these like very competitive games still kind of understanding a a level of respect and a level of sportsmanship for the person on the other side and i think when someone like me you're not competitive finding your own kind of space in there that that works where you can like play a game work toward yeah have fun yeah 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 we both i think ultimately agree then that like we're getting mental health benefits out of board games when we play them kind of being aware of as i'm getting my benefit i'm not taking it away from you and vice versa i think that's the thing that since we're so far apart on a lot of these that's the thing that we've worked towards finding games and there's a good list of them that we both like that we both enjoy and can play together and both get what we're looking for out of a game yeah and i think you know not to take this in, into like a uh, 
a super like more down or serious place, but we are coming off of mental health awareness month and we do get a lot of benefit ourselves from playing games together. Mm. And I feel like we also have been at different places in our lives where we needed help and other people have helped us to overcome issues that weren't solved by playing board games together. And if you need help, you should not feel ashamed to get help. Oh, not at all. No. I, feel, I feel like there's been, uh, you know, the stigma around getting help is ridiculous and stupid. And that's, I think that's where kind of I was going as well with the idea of being respectful of other people, there can be some judging, shaming around the games that people like to play. Like someone might just like to play a light game. They don't want to play something heavier, things like that. And I think that all of that is so silly. If you want to just play the lightest games and have a good time, don't let anyone keep you from the mental health benefits of this hobby. Like, don't let other people intimidate right. you out of this hobby either. I feel in the like same I... way that they shouldn't, you shouldn't feel intimidated to get whatever kind of mental health or assistance that you need. Also, don't let people keep you away from things that are going to be good for your mental health, whether they be board games, whether that be seeing a doctor to get medication for your mental health, seeing a therapist, whatever the case may be. Don't let other people shame you or intimidate you out of doing what's gonna work for you and what's gonna make you feel what's gonna make you feel better absolutely human be I, I i feel like as we talk about how we get helped out in our mental health by playing games together it's a highlighting a very it's a very small piece of a very larger truth that humans need each other Thank you so much for listening to episode 49. Be sure to subscribe to know when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Variant Hex. We have a website and a blog at VariantHex.com, and you can email us at podcast at VariantHex.com. We're pretty sure you could continue to do this with all sorts of emotions and themes, and we may continue to do exactly that in the future. The next episode will be our 50th. Adam and I will talk about the top five games we'd play 50 times. Unless you're listening to these in reverse, in which case you have 48 more episodes headed your way. The next one being a one-star review guessing game with Adam, Aaron, and me. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. <laughs> <laughs>